Chapter 34 Year 883 PXF Early Spring Thorn rolled from his knees and sat on the ground, leaning his back against the boulder. He didn't know where the tears on his cheeks had come from. It was more like he was leaking than sobbing or wailing from the shock of seeing the image of Riken. His eyes were clear, and his breath wasn't racked as he had always experienced crying before, but tears continued to fall nonetheless. Was the image he saw how Riken looked now, or some other time in all the years that had passed? He tried to piece together details he thought he might have seen. Was that the image of a forty-eight-year-old man? There was nothing for his memory to grasp, though, other than the eyes. His beautiful storm-cloud eyes, still clear and full of reflected dreams. Thorn stood up, not bothering to wipe the trails of moisture off his face. Looking at the sky, he knew he had to get moving to make it back to Balanon's sanctuary below the sojourn's rest before sunset. But, before leaving, he dipped the blade of his sickle in the spring to give it the sustenance it required, and as he did, there on the tiny branches of the tree, he saw a miniature bloom. Barely larger than a grain of sand, but unmistakable in its shape and color, it was the first bloom Thorn had ever seen on the living weapon he carried. He gave the sickle a little smirk, and instead of sheathing it, he hooked the blade under his armpit, positioning the little tree to ride on his shoulder to get some sun. At first, Thorn had to concentrate on keeping the sickle in position, but the longer he walked, it seemed to anchor itself in place and rode steadily on its new perch. Thorn arrived back at Ellery Square just as the sun was setting. As he traversed the open square, he could feel eyes upon him, but unlike yesterday, it was not the eyes of the curious. Instead, this was the gaze of a predator. The hairs on Thorn's neck stood up, and his senses opened to the world around him. Thorn hadn't felt the magic of the sickle to this extent since the day he pulled it from the boulder. The sickle seemed to plug his nerves into every living thing around him in the split second before the attack came. It was as though his body were connected to a vast network of roots and branches covering every surface and feeling even the slightest movements in the air and earth. Thorn grabbed the tree-like hilt of the sickle, unhooking the curved blade from under his arm. He wasn't sure exactly when or if he closed his eyes, but Thorn no longer needed them. The filaments of his and the sickle's life force radiating around him gave all the information he needed about what was stalking him. It was hungry, but not only in the natural sense. Maliciously so. Its need came not just from an empty belly, but from an instinct poisoned by corruption. As a hunter, it was exceptional approaching its unwary, fleshy prey from downwind, six legs slinking in the lengthening shadows without so much of a whisper of a sound. Even its heartbeat was slow and steady, with no rush of adrenaline causing blood to pound in its ears. Thorn should have been dead, killed instantly by the jaws clamping around his neck from behind, the long canines puncturing the arteries there as they found purchase. The leap was the perfection of tens of thousands of years of nature refining its apex predator, and the corruption molding its form into a perfect killer. Nonetheless, it did not find its target. Instead, 
in a motion one would think belonged to a tree limb springing back from an unexpected gust of wind, Thorn spun around with the sickle while simultaneously bending his body backward, and as the shadowy feline form passed over him, the living edge of the sickle passed cleanly through the beast's neck, severing it from its body. Thorn followed through with the momentum of his evasion and returned to a standing position as his senses retreated back into his body, no longer reaching outward and encompassing all around him. Before him lay the corpse of the beast that had stalked him. It would have been a beautiful creature if not for the sores biting into its skin and the webwork of abnormal veins burrowing through its fur and feeding vestigial tentacles emerging from its back. The flesh at the sight of the decapitation drew Thorn's eyes. At first, he thought he was witnessing some kind of foul magic, as glowing blue phosphorescent fungus and lichen grew in the wound before his eyes, accomplishing in seconds what should take weeks or months. But then, he saw their true purpose. They were drawing the poison and corruption from the corpse, filtering and processing it. As a result, the sickly gray flesh of the beast returned to the more natural color of game freshly killed, and the vile tentacles withered away. Thorn looked to the sickle for answers, but found none other than the single bloom, glowing in the approaching twilight among its canopy of branches that acted as a pommel stone for the weapon. Hooking the sickle back under his arm, Thorn, intrigued and curious about the process happening within the corpse, wrapped it in his cloak and brought it with him to Balanon's sanctuary. Placing the corpse on an examination table, Thorn assisted as Balanon worked to confirm Thorn's theory. There was a strange déjà vu as the two worked side by side, Thorn immediately falling into the training Balanon had given Talon. By every analysis, including a blessed lens to detect any disease, poison, or corruption, the lichen and glowing mushrooms that had spread across the body had cleansed the creature's flesh. Balanon even caught the decontamination process in action at the feline's haunches furthest away from the decapitation wound. As they worked over the corpse, Thorn told the surgeon of his encounter at the spring and the new information he had gleaned. In light of what they witnessed with the corpse, healing the land might not be as impossible a task as Thorn had imagined. Thorn assisted as they carefully harvested the lichen and mushroom samples for Balanon to try and cultivate. The surgeon explained how he hoped he could create a way to use them to help fight the disease outbreaks in the city. However, Balanon, ever the realist, stated flatly, one creature rid of corruption and some helpful plants are not the cleansing of the whole of Ellerion. Then he added, And if the vermilion blade is only a part of the source, where to then? Thorn just looked at him and replied, I have one cleansed creature more than I had hours ago, and the faith that nature wants to be healed if we can give it a helping hand. He glanced at the small tree on his shoulder. Thorn took a moment to think then continued. But you are right. The answer is not to go on an extermination spree here in the city. Not yet, at least. I'll need to start somewhere else, somewhere secluded. And I know just the spot. The following day, Thorn headed out, breath clouding in the pre-dawn chill of early spring. Along with all his belongings, he took some medical supplies and a hefty share of salted meat from his kill the night prior. 
He arrived at his destination in the early afternoon and looked down from the bluff he had perched upon so many times a lifetime ago. Before him stood the diminished but by no means devastated acres of Milgren's Orchard. Thorne surveyed the orchard with relief. There was still time to prepare the trees for their first growth. It was also evident that someone had cared for the trees over the last decade, but most likely too few people trying to care for too many trees. Thorne suspected who was responsible for keeping the orchard from dying, but could tell within a few seasons it would still not be enough. Thorne descended from the bluff into the orchard as Talon had done so many times before, walking among the trees and assessing their condition. Slowly he made his way through the orchard toward the farmhouse and workshed barn ahead. He noted the ground would need to be cleared around the trees before spring truly arrived, and far too many trees had sappers growing from their root bases near the trunk, along with unproductive vertical branches higher up in their crowns that had to be pruned before first budding. Walking the trees with a critical eye reinforced the daunting task ahead, but nothing worth doing should be easy. Thorne finally came to the center of the orchard and the largest tree at Milgren's, where Riken had broken his arm. The tree was far from prime condition, but had weathered the neglect better than many others around it. Thorne laid his hand on its trunk and greeted the tree like an old friend, assuring it that he was here to help. He scanned the branches, looking for some sign from Kaspharian that he had made the right choice to begin his task here but no blossom magically bloomed or apple miraculously appeared. Sometimes all you had in life was blind faith, that it's not always about making the best choice, just making a choice and doing the most good you could with what you had. Ahead of him, the roof of the large combined workshed barn that had housed field equipment, sorting tables, and crating bins, along with bunks and rooms for workers during harvest, had caved in. The walls seemed intact, but the sliding double doors facing the main house were off their rails. Compared to the many buildings Thorne had seen when traveling across Ellerion from Limehold, the Milgren farmhouse looked in remarkably good shape. Besides some porch railings that needed replacing, missing shingles from the roof, and one boarded-over window on the second floor, it looked habitable. Heeding Balanon's stories of bandits and ne'er-do-wells that plagued the countryside, Thorne approached the house carefully, arms raised as he called out, Hail in the farmhouse! I am here in good faith! Boom! The sound echoed across the open space between the house and Thorne, as the bark of the apple tree next to him burst apart as though a thousand pebbles hit it. A puff of white smoke revealed where the thunderous sound had originated from. Thorne would have assumed magic, if not for his time with Naz in Oldstone. Whoever was in the house was wielding a blunderbuss. Thorne smiled as his suspicions were confirmed. He had met the woman behind the gun, decades before, when she was just a girl. Thirty years earlier. 854 PXF. Spring. The stone hit Talon square in the left cheek of his buttocks and stung like hell. He had been strolling hand in hand with Riken through the trellis market on the first warm afternoon of spring, the day before the Blossom Festival on the coming hearth's rest. His mother's gala had been a few nights before, 
and regardless of Talon's pleading, he was not allowed to bring Riken as his date. Instead, he had to play host to the son of some shipping merchant from Jadenpool. But that was all behind them. Tonight was theirs, and tomorrow they would celebrate with a picnic on the square. Like most strolling the market this night, they were browsing for things to fill their blossom basket. Not that they needed anything, as Miss Haddington would have their basket packed to the brim with all their favorites, but it gave them an excuse to walk together holding hands in the golden light of a springtime evening. As they walked, Riken took no end of pleasure rubbing in how he had spent the evening of the gala in the kitchens, gorging on all the hors d'oeuvres that had returned on only half-empty serving dishes, while Talon had been stuck in a receiving line and trapped in the company of Marco, who he pantomimed by mocking his roaming hands pinching Talon. The attack on Talon's bum had occurred as he and Riken had walked past the trellis occupied this evening by Milgren's orchard. They both spun around to see a girl's face, a bit younger than themselves, tongue stuck out of her mouth, dart behind a stack of crates, and make a break for a nearby alley. Riken and Talon exchanged looks, almost letting the affront lie without reprisal, but they were both still young enough that they could be baited into a good chase. They tore off after the girl, skidding around the crates under the trellis and sprinting for the nearby alley. Charging into the shade of the alley, They had only gone a few yards when both slammed to a stop at the girl's voice behind them. I know who you are, thieves. Talon's eyes went wide as Riken glared at him before they turned around. After their fight over the winter, Riken had laid down the law. Talon had no more chances. If this was more trouble, Talon knew he would lose Riken forever. Talon faced the girl nervously, saying barely above a hissed whisper, I don't know what you think you know, but we haven't stolen anything. I know you stole a barrel's worth of apples last fall from our orchard. I saw you do it, the girl said matter-of-factly. Talon's breath began to come faster as dread filled his belly. Riken, knowing his part in this particular bit of trouble, and in less of a panic than Talon at the given moment, began the obvious negotiation that had started the moment the girl had pegged Talon with the rock. What do you want? You obviously want something or you would have pointed us out to your parents back under the trellises. So what is it? I happen to find myself needing a bit of help. She didn't look into Riken's eyes, suddenly looking almost embarrassed. What kind of help? Riken countered. We aren't doing anything illegal or that will cause us more trouble. The girl suddenly got defensive. I'm no thief. I just need some extra hands tomorrow to finish my... Chores. Riken didn't let the pause before the chores go by without comment. Oh, I know all about chores. Riken made air quotes around the word. You got punished and didn't do the work. What you do? I sure as heck didn't steal a barrel full of apples. She shot back, her voice rising. Talon, in a panic, started shushing her and found his voice. Shh, shh, shh. What are the chores you need done? Well, it's going to take all of us because I will have to teach you to, but we got to clean up some trees before first bud, she admitted. So we help trim a couple of trees and you don't rat us out ever? Riken asked leadingly. How many trees? Well... The girl got bashful again. How many? Both boys asked in unison. Two dozen? She whispered. 
two dozen? Riken and Talon nearly shouted. All three dove behind some empty barrels in the alley when several heads turned their way from out in the trellis market, reacting to the noise. Riken sizzled off a rebuff in a strained whisper. What could you have possibly done to get such a punishment to complete in one day? The girl scrunched up her face. Wait a second. How long have you had to do this? Well... The girl rubbed her elbow, not wanting to answer. How long or no deal? Talon took the reins as Riken was seething. The girl finally confessed. A week. And how many did you get done? Talon asked coaxingly. Four. The girl started tumbling words out. You see, it was twenty-eight trees because that is how the rows are divided, and I had a plan to get them all done with plenty of time, but I got distracted. Riken, who was always better at math than Talon, chimed in with the numbers. So you were supposed to get four trees done a day for seven days, and you only got four trees done total over the week? What the heck have you been doing all this time? Oh, practicing the girl said quite proudly, producing out of her pocket a miniature dwarven slinger. Talon exclaimed, Hey, is that what you hit me with? It hurt, you know. Shh! Both the girl and Riken hissed at the same time. Okay, here's the deal. Riken sounded like he was Mikal bargaining for supplies. You are in a heap of trouble with the amount of work you have to do, and if we are going to knock out a week's worth of work in one day... Not only on Hearth's Rest, but Blossom Festival. That is worth way more than making up for one barrel of apples from last season. Hearing no objection as of yet, Riken continued. So, if we do this, we get a barrel full of apples each next season, without sneaking around or stealing. Straightforward labor barter. Riken finished with a finality that brokered no argument, saying, That's the deal. Take it or leave it. The girl whom Talon finally looked at as more than just an extortion artist, was probably no more than thirteen. She gnawed on a braided pigtail, eyes darting back and forth, torn between her current predicament and whatever she would have to do when harvest came to meet her end of the bargain. Deal, she finally said. I'm Gwendolyn Milgren, and spit on her hand in the most binding of youth contracts before extending it. You can call me Gwen. Riken, he stated, spitting on his hand and extending it. Talon, he followed suit before awkwardly spitting on his hand and extending it. The girl looked at Talon questioningly. Talon? Talon Corvermain? Why the heck are you stealing apples? You're rich! Talon wanted to crawl under a rock. He at least was thankful the voice was still hiding after their altercation last winter. Withering under both Gwen and Riken's stare, Talon did manage to change the subject. So, how did you get in trouble? I shot someone with my slinger, Gwen replied proudly. The day went surprisingly well. Talon sent word to the estate that he and Riken would stay overnight in Arnador at the inn. That way, if they left before dawn, they could get to the orchard at first light, rather than late in the morning by riding in from the estate. Gwen was there waiting for them with tools at the ready. Learning their lesson from last autumn, Riken stayed on the ground, pruning the shoots sprouting from the roots and base of the trunk, while Talon worked the lower branches and Gwen the upper. The area around the trees was mostly clear, 
but Gwen insisted that they pull any weeds that were beginning to sprout in the moist, just-thawed springtime soil. By the third tree, the trio was making great progress, and Riken drummed up some conversation. What's the deal with the slinger, and wasting a whole week practicing with it instead of doing your work? He asked. Do you know what a raffle is? She asked excitedly. Then, not even waiting for a reply, It's a thing called a firearm, and it works like magic, but there's no magic involved. A dwarf came by with one last summer and shot a rabbit dead clear across the orchard. Thorne started to ask a question, but there was no stopping Gwen. She showed me how it works and said if I could prove my aim next time she stops by, she would let me shoot it. Until then, she gave me this to practice with. Gwen pulled the mini-slinger out of her pocket. So you want one of these firearms? Talon asked. What for when you can just shoot a rabbit with a crossbow? Gwen shot daggers with her eyes at Talon. You have no imagination. I could be better than any old wizard with a book, and a crossbow is so ordinary. But what if your rifle breaks a string? How do you fix it? Talon wondered. Rifles don't have strings, Gwen said haughtily. Okay, well, what if something else breaks? Talon retorted. Gwen, having no answer, got flustered and changed the subject back to pruning the tree. You aren't doing that right. You need to get the vertical ones and the ones that are angled up too much. There was no more talk that day of firearms. But years later, when Talon was a guard and heard that Gwendolyn Milgren had spent a whole harvest's profit on a rifle, he still had the same question. Present. Year 883 PXF. Early Spring. The sound of the blunderbuss was still echoing in Thorne's ears as he shouted out, I am looking for Gwen Milgren. Is that you? A harsh woman's voice answered back. What's it to you? What business do you have here? She then added, And you just stay right there. That was a warning. I got another one loaded that will take your head off right where you stand. Thorne took the heavy pack off his back and laid it at his feet. Well, my business is that I can tell just by the sound of it your blunderbuss muzzle needs reboring, and your powder mix is a bit off. Then, without pause, Thorne continued, I also see your shed's roof could use some repair, and your trees need a prune and the orchard cleared before first bud. The woman could not conceal the interest in her voice. And who are you to know all those things? Thorne put a smile in his voice. I'm a journeyman artificer out of Oldstone, looking for work. I have my guild badge if you want to see it. Thorne continued, trying to stay as honest as possible in his story. I grew up around here, but my family is now scattered to the winds. And over my apprenticeship, I didn't realize just how bad things had gotten in these parts before returning. I used to eat your family's apples when I was younger, and remembered your affinity for firearms. So I'm looking for a straightforward labor barter. Work for room and board. The woman exited the farmhouse onto the porch with a rifle in one hand, thankfully not pointed at Thorn. So what do I call you? You can call me Thorn Barrelston. <laughs>